Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. All right, so today, jumping into dangerous dealings. So this is the last week that we will be looking at dangerous dealings. How many of you these three weeks have helped you? Been an emotional wrenching series, maybe? Dealing with all kinds of internal things, you know, gets all in your feels, gets all kind of in your space. It's, it's dealing with um, a lot of the things that we deal with. Um, so we took these four weeks, you know, and we looked at um, just being discouraged, discouragement. We looked at um, distractions. Um, we looked at, we look, what was the number two? Death. I was like, what is that? No, it's only four. I can remember it. Um, so today we're going we're gonna to tackle one more tough topic, and we're going to look at divorce. Now, before you get deflated, you're like, oh, man, I should have skipped this morning. Uh, man, divorce is something that is, is sadly far too common, not just in the world, but in the church, in lives. I bet every single one of us know somebody who, ha- who uh, is, has been involved in a divorce or maybe, maybe you're in the room and you're divorced. You're like, oh man, like, I want to talk about this. But my, my, my goal today is, is just to kind of give you some hope, give you some, some navigating focus points. Uh, do I have all the answers? Absolutely not. You know, um, but we're going to look at the scripture. We're going to look at some statistics as far as what professionals have, have discovered and looking at. And I hope that you uh, leave this place encouraged with a little bit of hope. And um, we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning because I, don't, I know a lot of times there's a lot of opinions well, I think, or maybe we justify divorce for many, many different reasons. We want to look at what the Bible says as far as the specifics of what the Bible says is a valid reason. Now, there definitely is a sliding scale. Hear me in that. Like, don't get mad and say, well, mine was justified. And in your own eyes, it, it might have been. But uh, we want to base what we do and how we respond and what we think based on Scripture. Okay, um, so this morning, let's let's jump in. We're going to look at some statistics from 2023. So these are fresh off the press. So the divorce rate is still hovering around 50 percent. So what that means is there is a 50 50 chance for it to work out. Now, how many of you don't know those are scary statistics? Like I, I flip a coin. I may make it. I may not. Um, but it's a 50 50 chance for for the first marriage. So when we look at, uh, so, you know, the next marriage and the next marriage following divorce, the statistics drastically get out of control for. Uh, so the, the, the subsequent marriages, the divorce rate for the second marriage actually goes up to 67 percent. So now you have 67% likelihood of getting a divorce. What about third marriages? You're like, people get married three times? I guess so. There's a statistic for it. Um, There is a 73% divorce rate for third marriages. How many of you know that we're seeing a negative trend? We're seeing that if we bail out of one, and just hear, hear my heart in this. What it looks like statistically, it's easier to bail out of the next one. And then you say, you know what? There's a way out. I'm going to bail out of the next one. That's just kind of what the trends. But look look at the, the, so the overall of people married versus not married or or the the marriages, like 60% of people generally overall are in their first marriage with their, with their first partners. Um, But the 40% of the people who are married are in their second or subsequent marriages for one or both. 
couples. Now, this statistic really caught my attention. 6% of couples who remarry after divorce, they are seeing a surprisingly high rate of success. So that means like you split up, full-fledged divorce, you worked it out, you dealt with things, you got get back together. 72% of them are lasting. That's better than 50%. So what, what, what does this mean? This means that what usually happens and what I've seen, you get a divorce and then you realize, man, I got a lot of stuff I should have been dealing with the whole time. So you take time to deal with your stuff and then you come back together, which I'm just going to let you know, you should have dealt with your stuff before you got married because now your stuff becomes their stuff and their stuff becomes your stuff and it gets all sloppy. How many of you are dealing with stuff right now in your marriage? Like, and it's like, I didn't ask for this. But when we deal with our things before marriage, or we take time and we separate and we deal with those things, when we come back together, we're seeing more success in those who have dealt with their own stuff to the success of marriages. So it's important, right? It's important to, to, to fight for those things. Um, I'm going to give you just some, uh, now this is personal opinion. Can I, can I share a few personal opinions? I don't do that a lot, but uh, my wife and I have been married 17 years. So if you've been married 17 years, I know there's a lot of people that have been married longer than that. But if you have survived 17 years, I'm going to use that word, uh, you, you've learned some things. You've had to put in some work. You've had to deal with things. You've had to confront things. Uh, I am absolutely convinced you can hide a lot of things when you're single. When you get married, all of those things are exposed. Um, that they're going to have to be dealt with. You can only hide them for so long or there's things that you're dealing with. But, you know, to be married 17 years, the key to staying married and not killing each other is to continually put in the work necessary to keep your marriage healthy and alive. Requires work. You know, uh, how many of you uh, hate dusting around the house? What happens when you don't dust in a while? What happens when you just dusted? It's like the dust will show up rather quickly. And like, I think marriage is like that. If we don't keep working on it, if we don't keep polishing it, if we don't kind of do that preventative maintenance on it, it'll get out of control. So, um, uh, and this is just my personal opinion. One quick statement that really that Becky and I stand on that we try to live by personal opinion here. Divorce is not an option. Like straight up. That's, that's our perspective. I know a lot of people say, well, if it doesn't work out, I can we entered into this saying it is not an option. You keeping up with my slides back there? Divorce is not. Oh, how about that? Who quoted that? I did, okay. <laughs> don't quote that all around the internet. I don't want to answer those in public setting because they didn't hear my whole message. They'll be like, well, let me tell you why it is an option. No, we're not going to do that. All right. Uh, so uh, Christians should fight to make our marriages work, refusing to give up, refusing to bail out. That is just my strong, honest opinion in it. Uh, marriage is not for the, the faint and weak of heart. It's going to require a lot of you. Now, culture today, uh, you know, how many of you have ever seen the, in the movies where they have the ejection seat button? They hit it and they can eject. What happens a lot of time in marriages, it gets bad or it starts spiraling out of control. You say, mayday, 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 and you bail out. And that's what happens in a lot of marriage. You have people bailing out when it gets hard, when it's, when it, when it's it, you know, when, when you feel like everything is going to go up in flames. But I want to I tell you today that there's hope. There's hope for those marriages. There's hope for those relationships. And most of it is dependent on you. 
It's not dependent on your spouse, but what is your response? What is your perspective? What are you going to take away? Um, If your husband's not here today or your wife's uh, not here today, don't be mad that they're not here. Receive the word of the Lord for you because you are the one variable that can uh, really uh, be the catalyst of most change. How many of you uh, in your marriage, you have wanted your spouse to change? Every single one of us, right? I'll tell you what, as much as you would like that to happen, it is easier to change yourself than it is to change your spouse. So what, are we, what we want to do is we want to respond and we want to deal with ourselves. We want to deal with our own hearts. We want to deal with those, those same issues. Maybe that could become contributing to an unhealthy marriage uh, or uh, it's going to require us to do work. So when my wife and I got married... Um, We made vows, you know, those vows were to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. So understand, it is one thing to say those words, but it is work to live up to those words. It's easy on the altar where you're like, oh man, it's so nice, look at all the gifts I got, everything's perfect, my dream wedding. And then the honeymoon fades, and the bank account maybe not be as substantial as you would like. Maybe somebody didn't budget something right and you overspent or you, you know, you had a lack of funds. You know, there's all kinds of stuff, you know, maybe somebody gets sick and, you know, how many of you are high maintenance sick people? Like when you're sick, like it's like everyone needs to know it. Like Becky says, I'm high maintenance when I'm sick. Like I'm just like, suck it up buttercup when I'm sick. I don't hear me complain, but it's like. I think we have that where, you know, sick, sickness and, and, and dealing with these things, um, uh, when things are good, when things are bad, these are the challenges that we have to put in work to accomplish. But I, I believe that a, a lifelong lasting marriage, it's a beautiful thing. It's only possible with God continually working in the lives of both individuals. Um, if you're trying to stay married without God in your marriage, I'm going to say it's probably nearly impossible. Uh, I don't know how you do it without killing each other because God's like, calm down. You love her. You chose to marry. Like, you know, like, I feel like God always like deals with me. He's like, no, like, you're not rationally thinking here. You're not responding like I would want. But, you know, trying to stay together without God, I I really don't know how you do it. Um, If you're trying to stay married, um, I believe that God is the glue that holds couples together for a lifetime. Um, can I, I got anybody that can vouch for that? Like, you know, and I hear a lot of times, man, the only reason we're together is because God, because it wasn't because of that guy. Like we have that all the time. It wasn't because she did everything right. It's because God causes us to love and causes us to change. And he's kind of the glue that holds all of those things together. Um, the big problem with divorce, it doesn't only affect the husband and wife, but it also affects the family. It affects those involved. When children are involved, for lack of a better way to put it, it just gets really messy. It gets difficult. It gets challenging. It definitely becomes non-ideal. Um, but it's also extremely hard to work through um, because there's almost always a destructive wake following divorce. There's emotions, there's spiritual things, there's all kinds of things going on. So my goal today is not to rationalize all the opinions about divorce, but I want to give you a few things to consider and to think about when dealing with divorce. So the goal in bringing up, the goal of avoid, the goal is to avoid divorce, I'm sorry, at at all cost. You know, that um, 
We strive to avoid it the best we can. So we're going to look at some passages from Scripture to kind of give us some guidance. So the first thing we're going to talk about is we have to understand the original model. What did God want? What did He expect? What was His standard? Because how many of you know we are in an unraveling culture of compromise, of tolerance for everything? Uh, I'm entitled to my opinion. What I think matters mind-boggling to me. Like, I was like, I'm not that smart that my opinion should matter. So I'm going to trust the Bible. I'm going to trust professionals. I'm not, I'm going to put very little credit in what I think, but that is a culture, cultural norm. Well, I think, well, I believe, well, my opinion on the matter is I'm going to challenge you today with what God's opinion is on the matter of how he established it, what he said. And, And when you walk away from this, It's up to you with what you do with the scriptures and what you do with this guidance. But I pray that you would just be open-hearted, that you would be open to these scriptures. And you say, Lord, show me what I can't see. Show me what maybe I'm seeing wrong. And allow these scriptures to illuminate your thoughts in marriage, your thoughts in divorce, your thoughts in all of these things. So that I will be approaching any decision in life through a biblical system, not a worldview system. Because that's the goal as Christians, last I checked, right? Don't just Google it. Look at the Bible. Read what the Bible says. Don't look for people's just interpretation of that scripture, but we want to read it. So, you guys, all right, we're going to read a good bit of scripture this morning. If you see somebody start struggling, give them a courtesy love tap, okay? Genesis 1, 27 through 28, the original model. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Um, So I'm going to pause quickly, talk about it, and then we're going to keep moving. But he created them as he determined, predetermined male and female. So God had a plan, a specific plan for every single one of us. So here's the the problem. The, The moment we start saying God messed up with how he created me, we start judging the character of who God is. Like, so that's the breakdown. Like, why, why does it matter? Like, you can be whatever you want to be. God created them male and female in the beginning. He created them after, their, after his image uh, with different, different characteristics, you know. Um, but, but male and female, what, what was the reason? Be fruitful, increase in number. Now, I'm just going to tell you, in order to accomplish this formula of increasing and multiplying in number, it only works with a male and a female. Now, there's a lot of workarounds, and we're, we're tolerating, and we're trying to figure out how to do it by breaking the original model. I'm being very careful this morning to try not to just, like, step on all kinds of toes. But he established the model. He established the pattern. Anything contrary to a different model, we broke the system. We broke the model. We said, well, I think, last I checked, God knows better. So that's what we're looking at this morning, okay? So let's keep going. He blessed them in verse 28, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, rule over it. So he gave us authority. He gave us authority to rule and to reign. He put us higher than the animals. You know, last I checked, my dog is not barking at me, giving me the commands, but I command the dog, right? You know, he set us as the hierarchy over all of the living creatures, over all of the animals. Genesis 2, 20 through 28, we, get, we, get, we start unraveling. But Adam, no suitable helper, was found. So the Lord God created, uh, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the, to the man. 
The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. God, God established it that way. Um, you know, uh, he gave Adam the responsibility to name all of the animals and uh, all of the creature, creatures that moved. And I'm assuming when he woke up from that sleep, he said, whoa, man. So she was woman, okay? Uh, so in verse 24, it keeps going. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become what? One flesh. Now understand, there is a leaving of your primary family. There is moving into another family. Leaves his father and mother. If you are married and you're still in your mother and father's house, I would challenge you, don't stay in that configuration forever. There may be a reason, there may be a moment, but it is not ideal for you to stay under that covering. God is releasing you to kind of build your own family, your own values, to kind of figure out things on your own. There is a leaving and there is a cleaving. There is a leaving your, your, your home. Like my relationship with my parents drastically changed when I got married. You know, I don't still go to my mom's house for dinner every day. See you later, Becky. Where are you going? I'm going to mom's. <laughs> Divorce may be on the table now. Like, it's going to change. Like, you have to do things in God's leaving, you know, where you're united with your wife, and she becomes or he becomes the most important person in your life. That doesn't mean that your parents are not in a, in a authority position of your life, but there is a moving of that authority into a kind of a new realm of responsibility, and it's just kind of creating... A whole new family out of that family, okay? So they become one flesh. So a man and a woman coming together as one is still God's original plan for marriage. It, it's really that simple. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. This is a strong scripture, but you will see God's heart in this. Verse 13, it says, Here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping, and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and does not accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I will tell you why. Because the Lord has witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. Let me pause right there. God bears witness to what you have agreed to under the constitution of marriage. You know, and we often have marriage, marriages in church that you know, others bear witness, but this is between God and between man, and, you know, we have witnesses. But right there, the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made while you were young. Some of us got to pause and remember what we agreed to. We're like, what did I say? What did I agree to? What, that, what, what did that preacher bamboozle me into? Because God heard it, and I must have not heard it. Or, what, you know, whatever, okay? But look, look, look at it as it continues to unravel. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she, your faithful, though she remained your faithful partner. The wife of your marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? And what, what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to your wife of your youth, Verse 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. I could wrap up and right there we could walk away with a whole lot to chew on. What do we get from that? Does God love divorce or he hates divorce? 
If God hates it, I better start hating it. I got to get to the place where not saying it never happens because we know in a broken world with two broken people trying to work it out, if God is not in the middle and they're not yielding their heart to God, it is inevitably that like, there's a 50-50 chance it's going to work out. But what is God's perspective? He says, I paid attention to what you did on the altar, what you agreed to. Hey, you remember that part where you say, I do, and I do, and now we do. You know, God says, I witnessed those things. Did you hear some of the context of that passage? One was faithful, one was not faithful. One continued to remain faithful to the wedding vows and one did not. A breaking of loyalty and it talked about the heart, it talked about the internal things. It says, guard your heart, remain loyal to your wife. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. So the two instructions really at the end of that passage, guard your heart, don't be unfaithful to your wife. And reverse this, wives, make sure you're being faithful to your husband. Just because it's saying that the man wasn't faithful doesn't mean that the, that the wife cannot be unfaithful. This works both ways. Don't be like, well, he said it because he knew the man was going to do it. Oh, <laughs> got some jazzy women in the world too. So um, make sure you guard your heart with all diligence and that you're, you're honoring God and you understand God's perspective. Let's keep going. Mark 10, 2 through 12. Some of the Pharisees came and tested him saying, is it lawful or is it allowed for a man to divorce his wife? Um, Moses gave a command, you know, and it says that he commanded it. Verse 4, Moses permitted a man to, to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Uh, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this vow, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Why did he say at the beginning? Because there was no divorce in the beginning. That was not the ideal situation. Um, but he continues to point out, why does divorce happen? What, what, is the, what, is the, what is the root issue that causes divorce? The hardness of our hearts. The self-centeredness of self. Like all, all of the things that focus on me, that focus on myself. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Verse 9, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. No one. Um, man, what were we? We were watching a show the other day. I don't remember what it is. If you know the show, I mean, keep it to yourself or whatever. But we were watching a, a show of where... The, the, a guy was engaged to the girl, and the whole time somebody else was trying to chase after the girl. Now, we have to understand what a proposal means and what an agreement to marriage means. You need to honor that. Like, it's like, oh, they ain't married yet. No, but there's, a, there's an agreement made that should be honored. Like, so the whole premise of this movie, like, we were, we were watching it, and, like, there was, you know... Uh, we were just looking at it, it's like, man, the, the whole point of this is like, it's not honoring God. It's not like honoring the agreement between them. And, but we see where there's a, there's a twist on God's expectation of God's standard. Therefore, what God has joined together, even in an engagement, even in a prearrangement to get married, that should be honored. And nobody should mess with those things. It's not your business. Like somebody else's marriage is not for you to get involved with it. It's like fire, man. Like, don't, don't do it. Husband might kill you. I don't know. Like, I mean, there's a lot. There. It's just not something to play with. But it says, let no one separate. Let nothing separate it. 
You shouldn't, you know, um, one thing I would encourage you as the church, if you are meeting with a couple that is dealing with divorce and you are siding with one over the other, be very careful with that. Because that can really look like, or you have friends encouraging divorce. To me, that really, really looks like people getting involved trying to separate what it is that God has put together. Now, I'm going to use that loosely because, I mean, it could be justified, could not be justified, not knowing the situation or the detail. Whatever one you're thinking about right now, which I know you're thinking about something or, or a situation, you know, has there been an utmost goal to not separate that which God has put together? Um, and then he goes on, verse 10, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, understand, he was talking to the disciples. He was talking to Christians. Uh, th this is a Christian biblical standard. This is not a worldly standard. We want to be really, really careful um, to understand and that, that when, when God is talking to Christians... Christian, people who aren't saved and aren't Christians are not going to act like Christians and act like you expect them to. And you got to be okay with that. The world is going to act like the world, but the church and the Christians should act like the church. Right? I mean, you know, it's like a pig. You can yell at that pig every day. Quit jumping in that pig slob. What's the pig going to do? Get mad all day long until the nature of that pig changes and he's no longer a pig. The pig will continue to roll in the pig slop. What are you doing? Don't you know that's nasty and dirty? What are you doing? Come to your senses. It's natural. But as Christians, we should remove ourselves from that. And there should be a way, different way of thinking, different perspective, all of those things. All right? Okay. So the answer to the broken model, Romans 1, 24 through 26. You guys sticking with me? We're okay? I'll give you some practical things at the end, but I want to get through these scriptures. Uh, verse 24, Romans 1. Therefore, God gave them over. This was, this was his, his answer to the broken model. He gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truths about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So understand, this is a compromising of God's standard. Rather than what God says, I'm going to do what I want. Whatever feels good, I'm going to chase after those things. Um, but it says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Um, verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lust. They exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. I'm going to stop right there. You can read the rest of it. I'm not going to read that here. Um, so, so I would encourage you read that. It's very specific. It's unavoidable. You understand what it's saying as far as that compromising and what it is that God was saying uh, was the degrading of their bodies. Um, but this is breaking God's original design and His original model. But we should uphold the standard. This, this should, um, this breaking of this model. What, what should be happening? We should be. Uh, instilling and holding God's model as the upholded standard for those who are followers of Jesus. I go back and just reiterate that one more time. Like this is a mark of a Christian doing what God says is right and, and avoiding what he says is wrong. But this is a breaking of God's original design and model. All right. Ma Matthew 5, 31 through 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So understand, uh, being sexually immoral 
um, unfaithfulness with your spouse. So, so there's kind of one of the first supporting scriptures of, you know, what would justify it? If, if I did have to make a list of what, what, is, you know, what, is, what is the approval. Uh, but understand, wh- why does it matter? Because what, what you're doing is you're violating what God has said was one. God put two people together and created them one, and now you're adding other ingredients. But for you to be with somebody else, that's going to cause a breaking of that one, and now you're unifying with somebody. It, it just, you know, it fractures the whole model. You know, it's like trying to glue two things together, and then you break that glue loose. There's going to be remnants. If You might fracture the whole thing, and then whatever part of you is left, then you go try to, to glue it to something else, and you got, all, you got this huge mess. Because what God put together, he intended for it to be together forever. It was life binding. It was spiritual binding. It was emotionally binding. So when those things are broken, it changes everything. Okay? Um, But, you know, it's adultery because he doesn't want it to happen like that. You know? But that's one scriptural support if you want to say, hey, what is something that that does justify it? There's one... um, Sexual immorality, and I'll let you justify whatever that word means to you. I'd, I'd encourage you to use the Bible for that support. First um, Corinthians seven ten through thirteen, and then fifteen through fourteen. We're wrap, we're getting close to all of these passages. It says, "To the married, I give this command: not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband." But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is, a, who is a not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. Now, let me stop right there. The unbeliever is not going to live by the same rules and the same laws as a Christian. The standard is upheld by the believing spouse, not the unbelieving spouse. Um, So it says, the brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Um, Verse 16, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Okay. Uh, one more passage, 1 Corinthians seven thirty-nine: A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. Now, we tend to stop there, but let me read the rest of it because the rest is important. But he must belong to the Lord. All right. You got some framework for this message now? You can say, I never read no scriptures on divorce or marriage or anything. Okay. So we're going to look at four questions to consider to avoid dealing with divorce. Okay. Number one, is marriage really forever? That's a question we have to answer. That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Uh, We need to know the answer to that, preferably before we get married. You know, is this a forever thing or is this just, uh, you know, it's a suggestion. Uh, If it's convenient, if I get what I want out of marriage, I'll stay in. But, you know, if my needs aren't getting met, man, you know, what am I to do? You know, this is what the world world talks, you know, that's what it's like. Um, But it says a man and a woman will become one flesh. Understand that when you come together in marriage, it is a forever thing. It's no longer about you and me, but it's about us and we. 
We have to change the perspective. It's not a matter about what I want now. You know, what I want is what, what does she want or what does he want? You know, the, 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 the you and me turns into a us and we. Everything is wrapped around us together now, not what I think, what you think. Uh, and if you had a whole bunch of different opinions before, you should have talked about that before you got married because now you're all stuck together with a whole bunch of indifferences. Okay? Um, so there's, there, there's a command and an encouragement, unwavering faithfulness to, to each other. This is a sacred uh, union between two people. God's original plan is that marriage was forever binding. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like impossible to get some of yourself back, you know, if you split up or if it doesn't work out. Have you guys ever seen the sand ceremonies at weddings? They'll get two, two different color sands and they'll mix them. Um, it, it's like mixing those sand, that sand together. And then you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I want my sand back. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> like, you might be able to get my magnifying glass. And you're like, I mean, what are you going to? It's going to be almost impossible to get back what you put in. Um, because that was the whole point. Um, another example that they use in weddings a lot, you know, braiding of a cord. A three-strand cord is not easily broken. So you have one braid of rope, and it's, it's a lot weaker than if you braid three together. You know, the husband and wife wrapped around God. Man, that, that, it's that's some tough stuff. It really, really works. So um, is marriage really forever? Keep your promises. Do what you agreed to do uh, if you really meant your vows. Uh, your vows were simply stated in implying a forever covenant. Better for worse, sickness and health, richer for poor, till death. Like, that's how you get out, right? It's like, man, I got to die. But I don't want to die, so I got to work through it, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> shit, like uh, so I don't, I don't advise that exit plan. All right. Um, but do you see the marriage cov uh, covenant as a covenant between you and God? Understand marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Contracts can be broken. Covenants are a little bit deeper than that. Uh, it's a vow. It's, it's an agreement between you and God, and uh, that's life binding. But for a covenant to work, you must agree to the terms. So I'm going to give you quickly on this first point: four attitudes of covenant. This is what it, this is what it implies. This is what it means. This should be the heartbeat of a covenant. Your burden is my burden. Don't matter what you're going through, baby. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever burden you have, it becomes my burden. Um, if it bothers you, it bothers me. Number two, I will always be honest with you. We don't like that one. We're honest when it's convenient. Or maybe we can get something out of it. But will we always be honest? Always be honest. Don't allow the slightest lie into your marriage. If you get asked a question, husbands, I'm just going to say husbands because, man, I don't know. Even being like, we have a tendency to want to lie and cover up. I feel that in my life, and I'm a pastor. I'll be vulnerable with that. Like, my wife asks me something, like, uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> like, what do you mean, maybe? It's a yes or no. Like, be honest. Uh, man, my wife, you know, we've been married, like I said, married 17 years, and, and she just says, do you understand? I, I've always covered you your whole life. I've never exposed you with all your flaws and failures, and I'll hang myself out this morning a little bit, and she covers me. So why can I not trust her with my life and my secrets and my struggles and the setbacks and different? I should be able to. That's why we married the person to be vulnerable and be open in every facet of our lives. But make sure that we're always honest with each other. Some of y'all are going to have a fun lunch. <laughs> Baby, I, I got some confessing to do. <laughs> I ain't been honest. 
but you can't get out of this because both of us are alive and nobody's dead, right? You know, like, you know, you say, we got to work this out. Pastor said we had to. All right. Um, I love you for who you are, not what you do. Ooh, that's a big one. Um, just love the person for who they are. Don't, it's kind of like not really having a whole lot of expectations, but just love them for who they are. It's not performance-based. It's relationship-based. Uh, and number four, I give up my right to be right. Put the weapons down. It's not about who wins. You can win the war and lose your life because you're still alive, right? So, so, so don't do that. Give up your right to be right. Okay, so number one, is marriage really forever? Number two, am I careful about choosing who to marry? So this is a caution, a precaution before you get married. Uh, don't rush into marrying anyone. Don't get married on an impulse or because of an unideal situation. Understand, we should decide and choose who we marry. Last I checked, when he says, will you marry me? You can say no. <laughs> oh, yes. Like, it's so exciting. Man, don't get caught up in the excitement if you don't want to marry the joker. I'm just, don't do it. Like, you know, but at the same time, you know, about, you can say no. Like, understand, like, it's not like force. Well, he's asking me to marry him. What am I supposed to do? Tell him no. I mean, I guess if she asks you, and that's a little radical, but it's happening nowadays, tell her no. When I'm ready, I'll propose to you. Get out of my face. Right? You know, like, just a crazy culture nowadays. She asked me to marry her. Like, that's not chick. That ain't how the terms work, but anything goes nowadays. So please take careful consideration in who you marry. This is a huge decision. Um, I just want to caution you how you date. Be careful because there is a statement out there that sometimes dating is a practice for divorce. Hear me in this. There is healthy ways of dating slash courting, different ways of kind of guarding our heart, making sure that we're keeping ourselves pure before God. Um, but what I mean when I say dating is practice for divorce, we get in a relationship. As soon as we find something we don't like, it's like, oh, I ain't dealing with that. I'm out. Well, that doesn't really work in marriage. Like, oh, I don't like that. I'm out. I can't get out like that, right? So being careful how we do that. Um, Marriage really requires you to grip down, get through the hard stuff, not bail out when, it, when, the, when the going gets tough. So be careful how we practice this if we just get so accustomed that if there's something we don't like, we're just out. So maybe consider courtship versus dating. Um, in dating, normally, sometimes we give away too much of ourselves too quickly uh, with no strict guidelines or boundaries. Um, and marriage is seldom part of the plan when we just talk about radical dating. Like, it's like, oh, we're just dating. Y'all plan on getting married? Oh, no. What are you doing? You're just like entertaining yourself in the meantime? What, like, that's not, that's not okay. Uh, I, I would um, encourage you, do not date till the realm of getting married is on the table. That would just be my, you know, you're like, well, we're going to get married. Well, how are you going to pay for bills? We're going to survive on love. <laughs> Last I love, they don't take, they take Visa MasterCard, not my love card. Like, it's the, they don't allow me to punch that. Like, it's, if you can't, you can't afford a wife, probably ain't a good time to get married. You know, you don't have a stable job. You're not ready. You're still in high school with that puppy love. Like, that's probably not the right time to get married. We're all older and we almost still can't handle marriage. We know you can't handle marriage. <laughs> Like, you're like, it's the greatest thing ever. I said, no, it's a trap run. 
Like, we've got to understand the perspective. We choose who we marry. We've got to make sure we have these. We guard our heart. We guard our life. Um, there's a lot of books. Um, I'm reading a book right now. When I get through it, I think it may be a really good one for those of you getting at the marriage age to read and to consider. Now, I still would encourage marital counseling prior to. Why do we do marriage counseling? Why do we look at all these things before? Because we want to know what we're getting into before we get into it. And then we're like, whoops, now we're in it. Uh, anything that's not right, anything you're dealing with, we want to make sure that we know that up front to, to realize, is that something I'm willing to live with? Is that what I want? Is that what God has put in my heart? Is that the direction I'm going? If that's not the direction I'm going, then sorry, buddy, it's not going to work. Sorry, baby, it's not going to work. Okay. Um, there is a Symbus assessment and Becky's actually working through her certification. I'm really excited about this because this is really going to help some of our young couples. But Symbus is... Um, Saving your marriage before it starts, an assessment that you, that you take, um, and it checks compatibility. Man, I wish I'd had one of them. I lucked out. Luckily, me and Becky are compatible. But can you imagine? It would be like, might have saved some of us. Been like, man, I didn't know that about that person. But uh, it, it kind of asks all these questions, does all these assessments, and it just checks for compatibility. Um, so understand marriage, uh, mar finding the right marriage partner is the second most important decision you will ever make apart from following God. The most important, you can mess up your future by marrying the wrong person because they don't have the passions and the desires that you have. I have friends that desire to be pastors, but because their wife has no interest for ministry, they can't do what God has called them to do. Talk about miserable life, right? We choose who we marry. We can decide that ahead of time. But this is a decision in life you want to get right, um, especially if it's a one-and-done type thing. So consider your compatibility. Look ahead and make sure that, you know, um, it's important to undercover anything going on before the marriage starts, not once you get in. Um, don't look at what you like about the person. Figure out what's wrong with the person before you get together. Uh, I'm just saying. Find a pastor, find somebody that will help you, and they'll ask those hard questions for you. Number three, do you understand God's expectation of marriage? Man, i got to hurry. Okay. Um, be equally yoked. So if you're a Christian, only marry someone who, who not only confesses to be a Christian, but you see evidential fruit of their relationship with God. Man, you come to church, and you, find, you see a lady walk by, like, nice. Everybody's a Christian in that moment. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm here at church. That's not always the case. Look for fruit. Look, don't just say I'm a Christian. You know, it's like, oh, he's a Christian boy. I found him at church. It's not always the case. Um, Second Corinthians six fourteen and fifteen. Do not be uh, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does righteous and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between? Um, Christ and, and Belial, or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? The answer is absolutely nothing. Don't tolerate it. Don't compromise it. It will cost you a lot more than it's worth. Okay. Um, Christian men and women should be looking for godly men and women. Um, a lot of times you'll catch different fish in different bodies of water. You can catch a church fish or you can catch a bar fish. It's up to you. Um, I recommend you looking at church, but be cautious because there's trash fish everywhere. If you catch a hard head, just throw them back. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe he'll come around and I don't know. 
All right, recognize the difference. Get a godly spouse. Be cautious. Make sure um, as a Christian you're looking for a godly man and woman that loves God. Because if he knows how to love God, he or she will know how to love you. Um, if they don't know how, if they're not a God lover, it's going to be hard and it's going to be rough. Um, be ready to lay your life down. Marriage is not about what you can get out of marriage, but how you can faithfully and unconditionally serve each other. Uh, it's an attitude of um, being selfish, not selfless, not selfish. Um, but our focus is on, on you and focusing on pleasing and serving your spouse. Uh, if you're not ready to give your life up for somebody else, don't get married. Um, because that's what's going to be required. Uh, marriage is not about what you can get from your partner, but what you can give to your partner. Okay. All right. So number one is marriage forever. Yes, it is. Uh, I, I need to be carefully choosing who to marry. Um, do I understand God's standard and expectation of marriage? Hopefully I do. Don't be equal, be equally yoked, be ready to lay my life down. Um, it's not about what I can get, but what I can give. And number four, this is the last one. Um, what is the condition of your heart? Because we talked about if the response to divorce is a wrong heart, how is your heart right now? Um, Jesus' solution to the problem of divorce was not found. It was found through dealing with the hardness of their heart. So what is your heart condition right now? Now, this is for married or not married. What is the condition of your heart right now? If your heart is not right, it could be a contributing factor to all of the problems in your marriage. Potentially, based on that scripture, it can lead you to a place of divorce. But you have to deal with yourself. You have to deal with your stuff. Um, I know many of us get frustrated with our spouse for not changing or doing what they want them to do. But we have to understand the only person we have control of is ourselves. All right. Um, where am I at? Let me give you this, and, and we'll close. Be, and these are these are well, these are what I'm going to call the four horsemen of divorce. These things, if they are active in your relationship, they will destroy your relationship and could lead you to a bad place. Number one, criticism. Um, this is being critical about everything, anything, uh, and this is where we get the nagging, the complaining, the inconsiderate. Well, when, when's the last thing you've done anything right? Man, you tell that to your husband? Oh, he's going to have something to say about that. Well, when's the last time you, oh, we just went to war. So uh, this, this criticism. So how do we change that? We make sure we praise each other. Don't be critical. Hey, I appreciate you taking that trash out. Man, I appreciate you. Raising these kids, if it was just me, I don't know what I would do. Becky was sick all this week. My house was messed up without her in the equation. And she's like, it's time to eat again. It's time to eat again. It's like feeding all these kids and all of a sudden I'm trying to work. And I, it's like the stuff we take for granted, like all the meals, laundry piled up like crazy. This morning we're like, what are we wearing for church? We're like, I don't know. We're going to work it out. All right. But we can be critical. But instead of being critical, let's make sure we encourage and uplift, praise those people. Uh, defensiveness. This is refusing to be wrong. <laughs> Man, you got to get that out of your marriage. Or, hey, tell me about this. Well, 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 well you got problems too? Oh, really? Like, that's why I brought that up, to be defensive. No, we got to put our weapons down on the table. Be willing to be open. Stay as one. Uh, be, be, be opened. Uh, distance. This could be separation physically, emotionally, or practically. So just stay connected as one on every front. 
And number four, stonewall. This is refusing to budge. This is refusing to give. This is literally putting an emotional brick wall in between you and your spouse, refusing to let anyone and not letting them in. What you have to do is you always have to give your spouse the key to that wall. You may block a lot of people out. Don't let your spouse be blocked out. Um, If you do any of these, these will begin to rob from your marriage and your relationship. Can you stand up with me? Man, I'm way over. I hope this is some good stuff to help you. But um, what do we do now? What is our response? Uh, If we are recovering from divorce, God has grace in that. He'll walk with you through it. Will there be some healing? Man, absolutely. Will there be some restoration? Absolutely. Should you ask yourself if you were a contributing factor of that divorce? You better be asking that question. Because if you get married again, we know the statistics, what? They're against you. Unless you radically change yourself. Okay? Um, Maybe this morning, there's some in the room that are contemplating divorce. God has a, uh, a plan of restoration right now for your marriage. But you got to let him in. You got to be vulnerable. Can I get our prayer team? Go ahead and come on up. Um, if, if, you, if you guys are dealing with that or you just want prayer, I mean, I would encourage you to be a little vulnerable, but definitely be vulnerable with your, with your spouse. Um, but if you need prayer over that, I believe there's hope for that. Maybe you've been left in the wake of a divorce. You're, you may be your, your parents or friends or talked to a young lady this morning that she said, I was a teenager. I was older when I got a, when my parents got a divorce and it rocked me. We don't ever brace for those things. It's not like, oh, that was easy and fun. This is something that the enemy can use to really, really affect our lives in a negative light and can prevent us. So why is this a dangerous dealing? Because this has the potential to really stall us out from accomplishing and being all that God has called us to be. I know God wants to begin to heal in the realm of the destructive results of divorce. If that's you this morning, you just want somebody to agree with you in prayer. and Maybe, maybe you're dealing with it and you just never told nobody you're dealing with it. Parents, grandparents, you know, like, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, it can still be affecting you today, even though you're happily married. It just, it's just, it's tough stuff. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like to know more about our family, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash HTC Bay City or find us on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.